Week four, stir it up. We're going to be in Judges chapter four tonight. <coughs> so far, <coughs> you have to excuse the cough. For some reason, I cough every time I get to speaking. So far, we have seen three judges raised up to redeem the culture. We've been talking about the word judge is not so much the idea of a, a, a democratic idea of a judge where they have the gavel and they, they sentence you to here or there, but this is a judge from the word shafat, meaning to position one um, to their rightful place. We know that Jesus has redeemed us and we are righteous in his sight. He has positioned us in our rightful place. And we're studying how do we redeem a culture that is what we're calling a kingless kingdom. A culture that has been totally against what God has asked us to do. A culture where we're endorsing every kind of sin in the book and no one is even being offended by it. It seems like less and less people get offended by it and I'm not even so much concerned about the people of the world but what concerns me and shakes me the most is that more and more and more churches are intertwining with pagan ideas and sinful ideas and letting it be okay. So we're talking about how do, how do we redeem that culture and put it back under the kingdom of God. Amen. So we've seen three judges thus far, Othniel, Ehud, and, and Shamgar. Uh, if you remember last week, Shamgar, he had one verse out of the entire Bible dedica dedicated to him. Um, he was killing people with a, let's see if y'all remember, it was a big stick and it was called a, it was called a stick. <laughs> ox goad, ox good, good, good. Well, this is basically what they're going through so far. They've had eight years of bondage, then they got 40 years of peace, then they rebelled and got 18 years of bondage, and then after a judge was raised up, they got 80 years of peace, and then they rebelled again, and God had to raise up Shamgar for more peace. Rebellion, peace. Rebellion, peace. Rebellion, peace. Seems like a lot of our lives, doesn't it? You ever known someone that's like, you're good for one minute, you're bad the next, you're good for one minute, you mess up, you're good, you mess up, you mess up, you're good. And then some people, it's they mess up, 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 oh, good. And then they mess up. We, we all have the, these cycles, and these are the people of Israel. Remember, this is a four, the book of Judges is a 400-year period where there is no godly leader among the people, such as a king or a Joshua or a Moses. This is 400 years where they needed to depend on God. So they're going through rebellion <clears throat> again. I was speaking with a parent this week, and <clears throat> they said they've been reading the book to their child, um, and their child was like, when are these people going to learn? <laughs> right? <clears throat> I imagine sometimes God thinks the same thing. <clears throat> when are my people going to get it? <clears throat> well, here are the people of, of God, the Israelites, mess up again, and we're going to start in Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. Now you remember the Canaanites. God told them, take out the Canaanites. If they would have just done it in the first place, there wouldn't have been no Canaanite king to rule over the people. Well, it says, the Lord handed them over to the King Jabin, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. Now this whole chapter is going to be about a battle with Sisera. So remember his name. What's his name? Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Yep, verse 3. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Here we go again. 
The people rebel, and after 20 years of oppression with a Canaanite king, they finally cry out to God. <clears throat> what I find interesting in the first three verses is verse 2, where it says, The Lord handed them over. The Lord handed his people over to a king that would be the cause of oppression for the next 20 years. God loved his people way too much to allow them to keep walking on their own way, to keep walking in their own path of rebellion and totally going against what he wanted. He clearly laid out what he wanted. He wanted them to drive out the enemy. He wanted them to occupy territory. He wanted them to follow the commands that he had laid out. He wanted them to simply be an obedient people. And he saw them walk in their own way way too much. So he says, if you're going to walk in your own way, I'm going to hand you over. And there may be times when we're in this lifestyle of rebellion, this lifestyle of a sinful nature, a country, a city, a family, a people, and a lifestyle of rebellion where sometimes we wish God would just leave us the heck alone. You ever get tired of being convicted? Maybe not now, but I know there was a time in my life where I was like, God, could you just let me be? I'm tired of feeling bad about my decisions. We've all been there. Some of us may sit like, God, why do you got to talk to me now? Can't you see I'm busy? Right? We, there's times we wish God would just leave us alone and let us do our own thing without interruption. But God loves us way too much to not deal with you in whatever way he needs to deal with you. And sometimes it's son, daughter, you're walking way too much in your rebellion. And if you keep walking on that path, it's going to lead to your destruction. So if I had to choose destruction or handing you over to oppression, I'm going to choose to hand you over to oppression so that you're positioned to need me more to get to a place where all you can do is cry out, my God. And we don't like the idea of why would God hand us over to oppression because God saved us, right? God redeemed us. Yes, but he redeemed you for you to turn and walk with him and he loves you way too much to not take him by the hand. So he says, I'm going to get you back to me whether you like it or not. So here's the handover to oppression. Some versions say he sold them to the king. Traded them. You ain't going to walk with me? Walk in your addiction. You ain't going to walk with me? Walk in your immorality. You ain't going to walk with me? You, get, you be oppressed by your sinful nature. You don't want peace? That's fine. You'll be oppressed. You want to live under anxiety? You go ahead. And I'm going to allow you to be there so that you understand you cannot do this without me. You need me. God, God wants us to realize we actually do need him. And there's so many times I hear people say, life's hard and I'm sick and tired of this. I'm sick and tired of that. And I'm sitting there like hearing them. I'm like, well, you're oppressed. You're sick of your lifestyle. Maybe you need to realize your need for him, for him to pull you out of it. Because it's finished. The door's open. It's up to you to walk out of the oppression. You no longer have to earn to get out. You just have to, God, here I am. I want to walk with you. 
God in his goodness knows that the best way for us to make the decision to turn to him is for us to endure something that's very oppressing in our lives. Understand that we cannot do it anymore on our own accord. John 15, 5 says this, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they'll produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll produce. Because apart from me, you can't do a thing. And it may take eight years of bondage or 40 years of bondage or 20 years of bondage, but God says, you ain't going to do it, not without me. Well, Kyle, I know a lot of people who are doing a lot of things without God. God never says you cannot climb a mountain without him. But the load you carry on the climb is significantly different when you do it in his strength versus your own. And we don't know what people wrestle with on their climb up the mountain versus people who are climbing up the mountain depending on God. You don't know the wrestle that celebrities have. You don't know the wrestle that our president has. You don't know the wrestle that pastors have. You don't know the wrestles that, that, that your parents have. We can, we can compare all day long. But God says, it's not that you can't do it. It's from apart from me, you're going to produce something that you may attain, but you attaining it versus me allowing it to produce are two very different things. Because people can get the stuff, but apart from me, they didn't do a thing with their lives and they're empty. God says, I don't mind you getting the stuff, but I care more about are you empty on the way or are you full with peace? Are you full with strength? Are you full to be able to endure the trial of the climb? Or does every time a rock comes in your path, you freak out, you get stressed, you, get, you, you go under oppression, you worry, you, you crumble under pressure, or when you see the rock coming, do you say, get behind me, Satan? They got, you can get the stuff, but that don't mean you're producing anything because it's not by our hand. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I want to be one that I can say everything that I got was because of him because I could not have done this without him. There's like stupid, crazy blessing going on right now in my life. I don't know how. Like just, can I be transparent of one that happened this past two weeks? Years and years and years ago, I made some dumb decisions as a teenager, and I had a credit score of 450. Up until this year, I had a credit score of about 660. This week, I got a notification. I'm at a 780 now. And I know that that may be trivial to you. But for me, that was a huge thing. And the way I did it, wasn't by me getting on the phone with a credit bureau for 45 minutes of my time. It all started 10 years ago when he taught me about tithing. Because when you start to give up a tenth of your money, you'll start to manage a lot better. 
Can I talk about tithing for a minute? Isn't it funny how when you try to apply for a loan, you'll find every source of income, but when it comes to tithe, you start making deductions. Well, do I got to tithe off my taxes before or after? But when it comes to loan time, well, I make $20 a week raking yards. I make $20,000 a year doing this. I make four. I mean, we'll, we'll add it up quick. But when it comes time to say, God, here's yours, we like the IRS. We, we start auditing. <laughs> we got to get to a place where it's, I can't explain how this happened in my life. I'm doing stuff that don't make sense. I'm giving up more, but I'm increasing. So God's either going to take his hand off of you or he's going to let you get to a place where you're crying out so he can put it back on you. Don't mean he leaves you. It just is he blessing the lifestyle? Is he allowing you to produce or are you trying to produce yourself? So these people are at this place where what they're doing, again, ain't working. They cry out to God. So the Lord answers. And he does it in the most unusual way, especially in this time. Through a woman. Women, this is a message for you. Men, you're going to hear it when you go home. (laughs) Judges chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, she got the short end of the deal in that marriage. That name, can you imagine? Hey, Lapidoth. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stupid. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet, not a prophetess, a prophet. I'm getting sick and tired of, I'm a prophet, prophetess. I ain't no prophetess, you prophet. Y'all, I'm honorary tonight. Deborah was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. There are so many people who try to argue that women cannot be in any sort of headship and authority in the church. But the issue was never about gen- it was never about gender. The issue has always been about headship, accountability, and authority. You ever hear those people that talk about women can't be pastors in a church? Women can't preach in a church? Y'all ever hear that stuff? They always attribute it to one scripture. And it's a scripture that says women should be silent. People, y'all know what I'm talking about? People love to pull out those one-liners and create a whole theology on it. But did you know that the whole context of that scripture, they were talking to the newly converted women? And they said, since you don't know what to teach, since you don't know what to believe, until you do, you are to remain silent under the headship of the men in this house. And then it says, but what you should focus on is being a good mother until you're ready to get in a place of authority. That's the whole context of the passage. Here, God, it wasn't a gender issue. It was, are the people in order? Are they being held accountable? Are they 
in authority. She was a woman submitted to and honoring her husband, not shaming him for having no governmental authority. She wasn't one of these women that says, I'm a prophet, and my husband, he did no good for nothing. No, no, she wasn't dishonoring him. She was honoring her husband and his position as the one she was held accountable to. And because she honored her husband and was not, who was not walking for all we know in any sort of position in the church or position as, as a, another prophet or a pastor, because remember, all the people, they rebelling so much that they crying out to God, and God says, let me talk to that woman. Not let me talk to her husband. There was something out of order with him. Let me talk to the woman who's submitting to the one out of order because she understands my order. Women submit to your husbands. Is this all right? She was in order and God said, I'll use this woman who understands what reverence and submission and order is all about. Just like a man cannot be used unless he is in order. He should be under the headship of the father. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Well, Deborah, it says, would judge the people of Israel. Now remember, Shaphat, not you saved, you not, or you bad and you good. It was, I want to speak into you to get you in position to what God originally intended you to be. They were crying out to God, and God says, let me use this prophet to speak into the people now that they're ready to be spoken into. Do you realize how desperate the people must have been for men of that time to be willing to come under and submit to a woman telling them all about themselves? They must have been desperate. Men submitting to a woman was unheard of in that time. Because at this point, they needed God and they were in a position where they were going to let God do whatever he wanted to do, however he wanted to do it, through whoever he wanted to, and they were willing to say yes to whatever. And I believe we're in the same place today. God can use a 75-year-old wise man or a crazy 34-year-old bald weirdo or a mechanic or a waitress. We've got to stop limiting what God can do to this hierarchy of position. God says, I'm willing to use whoever I got through whatever means I got and however I want to do it. They're willing to say yes. So Deborah is judging. She, she's speaking into people. And it says in Judges chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, one day she sent for Barak, not Obama, but Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh, who lived in, Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor. I will call out who? Sisera. Remember who he was. He was the oppressing 
uh, commander of the armies under King Jabin. I'll call out Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his how many chariots? 900 chariots and his warriors to the Kishon River, and there I'll give you victory over that guy. Now, if you read different versions, specifically in the New King James Version, it does not read, this is what the Lord commands you. In most versions, it reads like this, has not the Lord commanded. It, she was a prophet. She wasn't speaking something into Barak that he had not heard before. Didn't God tell you to get 10,000 soldiers and take them and meet them at the Kishon River? Deborah was asking a question about a confirmation that God had, had been trying to speak for Barak for 20 years of oppression. Get the army. 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 Let me try to do a whisper. Get the army. Get the army. Get the army. And one day they say, God, we don't know what to do. And God's like, I've been trying to tell you to get the flipping army. Get 10,000. And then he says, Deborah, judge that man. So Deborah says, has not God been speaking to you already to get 10,000 warriors? And I believe that we're in a time, especially in this nation, it's not... What does God want me to do? It's when are you going to answer the thing that he's been trying to tell you for years and years and years. You know what it's supposed to be, but you don't believe in yourself that much to believe God can do it through you. And if you don't believe in yourself that much, you know what that indicates? That you really don't believe in what he has called you in the identity of perfect and righteous and his son or his daughter. He calls Jesus his sons and he says, you were my sons and daughters. You are the kings and queens of the earth. I want, to do, I want to do crazy stuff through you by my blood making you right. So why is it that no one's doing anything? Shout it out. Unbelief. We don't believe that he makes us that good. And we don't believe we can do a thing because all we see is you don't know what I've gone through in my life. Barak, hasn't God already told you to get 10,000 warriors? Deborah, Deborah's role was finding the one God needed to place in authority and stir it up. Stir up something that he's been hearing for 20 years. And I think, some, I think we're in a day where we need to start stirring some things up with each other. You ever been in, whether it be in church or out somewhere with a friend and God just puts it on your heart to say something to them, but the first thing you think of, they're going to get offended. Never wasn't worried about that. Hadn't God told you already to do this? She wasn't trying to put him on the spot. She was trying to stir up something. Let me stir up the thing that you've been hearing that you've been turned away from all these years. Deborah never believed that she was the one God was going to deliver Israel through all alone. I mean, think about Deborah. 
Deborah was the one God raised up to speak all this truth. And you know what happens today when prophets get truth? This is what they do. I've heard the voice of God. Come to, my, come to my event so I can lay hands on you because I'm more in the presence than you are. Am I wrong? What is the, Stir up the gift in the people. Many prophets of today, they want the stage, they want the credit, and we need to realize that if you carry the mantle of a prophet, your job is to equip and stir up. And all men are called to prophesy. Did you know that? Doesn't mean you walk as a prophet, but it says, I want all of you to prophesy. What was Deborah doing? She, she, was, she was a prophet speaking into Barak. You know what? You know what? The, 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 look, look what happens in verse 8. Let, let me get here. Barak told her, I'll go, but only if you go with me. Barak had very little faith to go by himself. Even though God called him to do it. And God used a judge, someone to put Barak back in his rightful place to redeem the culture. It would have been very easy for Deborah to think, it's all about me. I've got the power. I've got the word. I, I just had two worship leaders back there going, I've got the power. <laughs> they won't be singing tomorrow morning. <laughs> we, Deborah doesn't take that attitude of, look what I've got. She, she's speaking in the Barak. And because Deborah was so wrapped up in humility and honor and submission and order, Barak said, Deborah, I trust in your relationship with God more than my own. I need you to come with me to keep me inspired and keep me on track. Perhaps this is why God says, let me give you the gift and I'm going to build the church on the foundations of apostles and prophets. Because those with the apostolic calling, they're going to go for a new wineskin, taking new territories, trying to do new things, and people are going to think they're crazy. People are going to try to throw stones at them. People are going to try to find everything they've done in their past and dig up that well. And you know what they need? They don't just need a prophet to say, God's telling me this, but they also need a prophet to say, be encouraged. Let me stir up in you what you can so easily forget when the world comes against you. So this is what Deborah says in verses 9 through 10. Very well, she replied, I'll go with you. But you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Talk about a gulp for Barak. A woman. Y'all can't even fight. Y'all raising kids. Y'all in the kitchen cooking us meals while we go fight. A woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. 
And at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. A judge operating in the gift of a prophet starts stirring up something in Barak. Barak starts seeing her faith, seeing the presence she carries, and even though he ain't got enough faith to go along, he says, if you go, I'll go. So, they, so he gathers up the 10,000 warriors. Deborah's like, you sure? You going to let a woman get credit? Look at Deborah's faith. She's not a warrior. She's just a stir-it-upper. Y'all know, y'all know those women. They, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She, they, they love to stir that pot. I'm, I'm going to get poison in my meal tonight. That's all. She's a prophet. She's just speaking in the people. But look at her faith. I'll go with you on the front lines of 900 iron technologically advanced chariots to our measly, meager 10,000 warriors, which, by the way, they had no weapons because they were under oppression. It's not like the government was going to say, hey, here, at that time. They, they, didn't, they didn't have any advantage. Look at her faith. Brock said, can you go with me? But what's funny here is I'm going to read a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 that mentions Barak. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11, 32-34. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith. Of the what? The faith. Of the what? Faith. Of Gideon. Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, all the prophets. Hmm. Interesting. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fires, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Guess who wasn't mentioned? Barak got the credit as a great man of faith, which we're going to find out he becomes a great man of faith. But when his faith, he became a great man of faith through testing and proving after putting faith in someone that stirred it up. And a lot of times we wait to say, God, will you use me? We don't, and our faith is not built up. We don't get courage. We don't get boldness because no one around us has learned to be so humble to your call that, that maybe they realize I'm not trying to use you for my advantage. My life is about stirring something up in you. That's why the vision of this church is to see you come alive in Christ, see you come alive in your anointing. All I want to do with my life is not build me a platform. I don't want to become famous. I don't want to get people saying, come. I used to get want people to say, come preach at my church. I don't want that anymore. All I want is one thing, stir it up. If Jesus says, I'm leaving because you can do greater works than I, then why have we built this religion that says you can do only so much except for the pastor can do so much more? And we're in this place where apostles and, and prophets and great teachers and theologians and 
What is their job? To equip the saints. Not to use the saints to build themselves up. What is their job? To stir it up. That's all Deborah did. Stir it up. And we're all called to prophesy. We're all called to stir it up. What is the function of a prophet? The mouthpiece of God. And to prophesy, there's three things you should do. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages others, and comforts them. What did Barak need to accomplish the plan that God had been trying to get him to do for 20 years? He needed someone to encourage his call, strengthen his faith, and comfort him by just simply going with him into the battle. And sometimes people know I've got this call in my life. I've got this thing that I want to do. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And they don't realize God's already put someone in their path to help stir it up. But when you hear people wishy-washy, they don't have faith. Well, then stir it up. Well, they don't know what they want to do. Encourage them. They're not bold anymore because they got hurt. Comfort them. Prophesy. Stir it up. Well, I can't believe what I heard that past. Stir them up. And sometimes a stir up saying, man of God, you don't need to be marrying those homosexuals. Sometimes the stir it up says, man of God, Uplift, don't put down. Sometimes it's friend, you call yourself a Christian, but when I saw that drunken state last night, you're not trying to call them out on the carpet, you're trying to stir it up. There's something in you that you are missing out on. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. God convicts you enough. I'm not trying to get you to realize. I'm trying to stir something up in you. There is purpose. There is potential. I want to stir something up in you because you are at a standstill in your life. I don't know why I'm not moving. Have you read the word? I don't know why uh, nothing's happened in my life. I, I don't know why God's not doing anything. I mean, I go out and party on Friday nights and I'm drinking with my friends, but I don't know why God's not doing anything in my life. Am I, am I getting, am I stirring up? <laughs> Well, we know what you do, pastor. We know what you've been through. Been through. When you see me going through something, I don't want you to be like, I can't talk to him. He's the pastor. You know what I want you to do to me? Stir it up. You know, your sermons are kind of slack lately, pastor. 
stir it up. And trust me, I don't need you to tell me that because I spend a lot of time on my, my messages. <laughs> my, my point, why, why have we lost the strengthening and the comforting and the encouragement? We're all called to do it. Barak needed that to accomplish the plan to go and, and face Sisera who had 900 iron chariots. And Deborah understood her place to judge through her prophetic gift by strengthening him, encouraging him, and comforting him to deliver the message. Redemption of kingless kingdoms in this culture cannot be done without the honoring of each other's abilities and gifts. And it cannot be done without encouraging and storing up one another's gifts and abilities and purposes. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says this. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them toward acts of compassion. Doing beautiful works as expressions of love. Well, Pastor Kyle, I'm not called to do outreach. It's not a call. It's a command. I don't feel that God's leading me to serve those people. Well, I don't... I, I, I've heard this, and if this is you, I'm not trying to call you out. This is, I mean, maybe I am, but <laughs> about, to, about to stir it up. <laughs> We're serving the homeless tomorrow, right? Well, I don't feel called to serve the homeless. What am I doing with you? I don't see you serving anywhere else, so I'm discovering creative ways to motivate you toward acts of compassion because nothing about you is beautiful or compassionate. And if you would start doing some beautiful and compassionate things, I wouldn't make you so, feel so bad about not doing the things I'm trying to stir up in you. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's fine. Let me have less people next week. Verse 25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. COVID-19. As some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Encourage each other, motivating toward acts, motivating toward expressions, coming together more, eager to encourage. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 6-7. This is Paul writing Timothy. I'm writing to encourage you to fan into a flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift that God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. What was he doing? Stirring it up. He said, Timothy, everything's coming against you. Finances are coming against you. The enemy's coming against you. People are coming against you. They're looking down on you because of your age. They're doing this. They're doing this. They're doing this. So I'm writing to stir it up in you. Don't let that stuff stop you. <laughs> and yet when you try to stir up something in someone, you usually get stuff like, 
Why are you judging me? I'm doing what I can. Well, according to my Bible, we should all be doing a lot more than what we can. Think about the Apostle Paul. We did a whole series on Acts, right? He was a tent maker. That was a all-day, sweaty, nasty job. I'm sure when he got done making tents, he wanted to go take a nap. But instead, he was so wrapped up in the presence that people were trying to touch his clothes just to get healed. He was raising up people for the church. But what is America? Well, I, pa- Pastor Kyle, I, I, I know that we're doing all this stuff as a church, but I've, had, I've got such a long work week and I just don't have time. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to. Why? Because there's so much more in you and you don't believe it. They they walked, the, the disciples walked with Jesus and never got any time to themselves. That's exactly what God wants of us. He says, if you'll devote everything to me, I'll give you the rest that you're making time for. But you don't really believe God's that good, do you? Because if you did, you'd give him it all. But instead it's, I need to make my time. And in your time, God's not included in any of it. And you think he's going to honor that because God gives us the Sabbath. There is a necessary judging, and it's called positioning people for God's work. Jesus bought your permission to do the work of the Father, to do the work, to to redeem the kingless kingdoms. So Barak says, yeah, I'll go if you go. And Deborah goes with Barak to Kadesh, gets 10,000 warriors, just like God already told him once, reminding him again through Deborah. And all they're doing is walking out on faith. I hope this is okay. They had no weapons to fight against a technologically advanced army of 900 iron chariots. And if that wasn't enough, Kadesh, the place God called them to meet this technologically advanced army, it was on a plane. Which didn't mean that they were not only, they didn't didn't just have the advantage with the weapons, but chariots worked best on flat land. The enemy had every advantage in the book. Sounds a lot like 2020. It looks like that, let's let's say, not not just looks, but fact. The enemy's got every advantage at this point. So Barack says, well, if I'm going into that, prophet, you're going to come right with me. They had the faith to walk, in, walk into this battle. And a lot of us say we believe in God. <coughs> but when God calls you to a task, oftentimes your faith suddenly disappears and is limited to a belief and not an action. You'll believe in God all day until he says do something with your faith. 
James 2.24 says something about it. So now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but by his works. Your works don't earn you anything, but they do prove whether or not you're in the embrace of your identity. If you embrace your identity as a child of God, your faith that he has redeemed you, then that is proven by what you do with that faith. What was Barak proving? Barak didn't just say, I believe we can defeat the enemy. Hashtag every church in the nation. Everyone says, oh yeah, enemy's been defeated. But when God says go do something, it's, well, we don't have the resources. They've got the advantage. We, we, we got to have a fundraiser for a while before we go forward. They didn't have any weapons. They were in the most disadvantaged place. That The enemy was technologically advanced. And you know what they said? If God said go, we're going. So faith is stirred up. Is all right? <clears throat> 10,000 warriors with an extreme disadvantage, walking by faith, all because Deborah stirred it up. Look what happens in verse 11. Now, Heber, the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Herosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River. The armies of Sisera moved forward to the river, the flat plains, and Israel, under the direction of Barak and Deborah, were at an extreme disadvantage. And I want you to remember what this passage just said. A descendant of Moses' brother-in-law was camped and pitched a tent and was living right next to this place. Okay? Verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, remember, the enemy's coming. Deborah didn't say, wait. Deborah said, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle, into a place where they had the biggest disadvantage. You see what Deborah did? When the enemy was in plain sight, what did she do? Encourage. You got this. And you know that when you see something come against you in plain sight, the first thing we want to do is retreat, back up. I can't do this. And that's when you need when two or more gather. The body has to be connected. I do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Why? Not to put on a good show for a pastor who has so many insufficiencies in his identity that he wants amens out of you. Why are you... <clears throat> Why are we supposed to gather together? Because all of us are walking in our purpose and all of us see the enemy and what do we need someone to do? Stir it up. You don't gather here to get church in. You're gathered here to get stirred up, to get raised up, to get equipped, to get trained, so that when you go, this is not your assignment. 
This is base camp for your assignment. When people say, are you a Christian? The answer should not be, yeah, I go to church. The answer should be, well, look what God did through me this week. Look, look at the glory I can give God through my Monday through Friday. Not, yeah, I go to church. How are you any different than a Muslim in a mosque? Fifteen through sixteen. <clears throat> when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. They had all the advantage, and they start panicking. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Some leader kind of reminds me of the enemy. He ain't man enough to face anyone, so he sends the demons. That's not an invitation. But even so, my God's bigger, so get behind me, Satan. Verse 16. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army. Oh, look, look at the faith increasing in Barak. He didn't say, Deborah, come on. He needed Deborah just to get into the battle. His faith is increasing all because Deborah started up. And now Barak is chasing Sisera all the way to his hometown, Herosheth Hagoam, killing all of Sisera's warriors, and not a single one was left alive. 10,000 warriors with no weapon killed all the warriors with 900 iron chariots. Barak did not prepare to be attacked by the enemy. They moved forward before the enemy had a chance to act. And I think a lot of times the church is acting out of response versus strategic positioning. We'll respond to the enemy instead of walking in faith before the enemy has a chance to do a thing. Because God threw them into a panic. Well, they had no reason to panic. They had the upper hand. But look at what God does. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Prayer's not powerful. All you are is getting by yourself and praying. Powerless things to shame powerful things. They don't get it. God chose things despised by the world, like love. Business schools. You're, you are taught survival of the fittest. Cutthroat theology. God says, bless people more than yourself and you'll be blessed. Things counted as nothing at all, use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God says, the reason why I use stupid stuff is so that you never get the credit. So why are you still trying to accomplish things with things that will give you the credit? And it wasn't a partial victory. It says not a single one was left alive. But I want to point something out. Why did they have this crazy victory? Look back at verse 14, the next, the next one, Josh. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching with you. No? Ahead. 
the Lord went ahead. God was already moving into the battleground and making a way. Because he'll never call you to move on in faith to a place where he will not go before you. And he says, if you'll walk by faith, be assured that I'm going to go before you and I'm going to take care of the things that stopped you from walking into the battle. Think about it. They were walking into the battle with no weapons and before... They weren't going to try to go against the enemy, even though God had been telling Barak 20 years, get 10,000 warriors with no weapons to go against 900 iron chariots. Barak's like, we we ain't prepared for that. Can you imagine why? We ain't got the weapons. We ain't got the strength. We ain't got the skill. We ain't got this. We ain't got that. And God says, if you will just walk by faith, not by sight, all the things that prevented you from going forward before, if you'll walk by faith, I'll go before you and cause the things that scared you because I don't give you a spirit of fear. I'll take care of all these things that you saw and cause it to work for my good so that when you go into that battle and win it, you'll say, I don't know what happened to them, but that was all God. He will confuse and cause panic and break down things that makes you think, I don't have what it takes. Kyle, I just don't have what it takes. He knows that. So he says, I know you don't have what it takes, so let your weak places become my strong strong place. Let me strengthen you in your weaknesses, and that's where I'm going to act on your behalf. If you'll walk forward. And many people are too scared to move forward in America. And that's why we, have, we are called to be a church to redeem the kingdom's kingdom by doing one thing, stirring it up. I wonder what you're called to stir up. You're all in positions. You're all in families and jobs and, or you go to places during the week. What are you called to stir up? You think this is all about you? You go into work thinking, how is God going to bless me today? Why don't you go into work thinking, how does God want to bless someone through this one who is going to Stir it up. Because that's a worldly thinking. What is God going to do for me? Instead of what can God do through me? Think of the song we sang tonight. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Not give me a vessel. Give me an offering. It's not give me all the things. No, what do you want? And then I wonder... Who in here needs to be stirred up? And what do you need to be stirred up for? Because he says, I've got plans for you to prosper you. I've got plans for a future. But for some reason, you won't walk in it because you don't believe in yourself. But thank God he bought you from death. Why did he buy you? Why did he sacrifice himself for you? Because he sees something in you that you won't see. So he says, put your eyes on me. Get with the body of Christ to stir something up in you. David sang a song in 1 Chronicles 16, 11 through 15. Look at this song. Search for the Lord in his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed. His miracles. 
the rulings he's given. You children of his servant Israel, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. Remember his covenant, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. We need to stir up that song again. Remember what God did. Remember who we are. Remember the promises. When are we going to remember? When is that going to stir us up enough? To walk by faith. When is that going to stir us up enough to be a church that doesn't look like any other church? To be a house that operates a little differently than any other house? When is that going to get stirred up? When are we, you know what? We got to remember. He's done it all. No one wants to go to church anymore because the church has failed them. So you know what I want to spend the rest of my life doing? unlearning what failed them and walking into a new wineskin. And when people say, how did you do that? Two answers. It wasn't me and I can't teach it. Well, what do I do? Seek the Lord. Okay. Let's read verses 15 to 16 again. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all the chariots and warriors into panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots, the enemy, all the way to Harosheth Hagoim, killing all Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Sisera escaped. Now remember, Hebrews talked about how great Barak was in his faith. But Barak didn't get all the glory. Everyone was dead. But Deborah said something in verse 9. Look at what she said. The Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a what? Woman. Now, Barak was a man. You're welcome, just in case you hadn't figured that out by now. Now, at first glance, you would think, Deborah's talking about herself. I'm, going to, I'm a prophet. I'm going to get this victory. Let's read verse 17. Well, meanwhile, <clears throat> Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the, Can- the, the Kenite. You know who Heber the Kenite was? He was that descendant of Moses' brother-in-law. Y'all remember him? He had the, he had, they had, he had the town pitched next to the place of the battle. So Sisera's running, and Sisera looks at this dude he thought he had a good ally with, and it says, that's his wife's tent. It says, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with the king Jabin of Hazor. Women built tents separate from their husbands back then, and they built it themselves. So they were really good with a tent stake and a hammer. Better watch what women can do. And remember, God honors what? Order. Why was God using Deborah? She was in what? Order. It was out of order for any man to go into the tent of a man's wife. So Sisera who abandoned the troops, runs away and sees this dude's wife's tent 
and totally goes what? Out of order. And goes to her tent, breaking protocol for his own safety and his own pleasure. Do not break God's order. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us do all things in order so that there's no confusion, so that peace will flow. If you don't have peace in your life, you better check your order. Are you submitted? So Sarah is completely out of order. He's trying to do everything for his own benefit, for his own protection. Look what happens in verse 18. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. That was Tyler's voice. Please give me some water. I'm thirsty. Go say it. I'm thirsty. So... What did she give him? She gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes and asks if there's anyone here, say no. It seems safe to hide out in this tent because in that day, no one would have checked the tent of a woman because in the order of things, he shouldn't have been going to the tent of a woman. So he had this false sense of security. So he goes into a woman's tent, out of order, covers him up with a blanket, sense of security. He, she, she, he says, give me some water, and she's like, I'll do you one better. I'm going to fill you up in some milk, because when that belly gets full, you're going to fall right to sleep. The enemy, the enemy will give you whatever you want to give you a false sense of security when you're out of order. He's going to make you feel satisfied. He's going to make you feel like nothing can touch you, and then one day, it all comes crashing down because you're out of Verse 21. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. That's a strong woman. Can you imagine driving a wooden peg through a man's skull into the ground? <laughs> oh, dang. Woo! <laughs> and... She, And so he died. Duh. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent pegged through his temple. The enemy was slain, and the victory was in the hands of a what? A woman. And when Barak saw that, watch what happened. Verse 23. On that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. The defeat of Sisera was step one. And as their faith increased, they became stronger and stronger and stronger until they had total victory. Watching the defeat 
built faith in Barak to continue. And I, I was thinking about that, this whole stir it up thing. The enemy's been defeated. <clears throat> Jesus did that on the cross. Jesus did that by serving in the grave. Jesus defeated him when he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and rose. If we would just remember what he did, just like Barak saw the defeat, if we, if we would remember and, and focus, wait a minute, this thing I'm scared of that's preventing me from moving forward, it's, it's, it's dead. It's, it's done with. Poverty's a lie. Even though I'm pover, poverished, poor, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, <laughs> broke. Depression's gone, even though sometimes I feel depressed. No, I, I need to remember this, this, this is all lies in front of me. And when you remember and you see that defeat, that thing will stir up a faith in you to move forward when it seems like you can't. We got, we got to stir that thing up, y'all. We, 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 need, we need to be a church, that, that a house that is known for people who are alive. The truth of coming alive in him. The very next chapter in Judges chapter 5, I'm going to read through this very quickly. Because the entire chapter is simply a song of praise that Deborah and Barak sang. About this whole thing. Because when you, when you do some stuff, there's only one thing to do. <laughs> Sing a song of praise. Look at what they say in Judges chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abanoam, sang this song. Israel leaders took charge and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads. Travelers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel, until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. Can you imagine singing a song of praise all because one person decided to do what? Stir it up. When you saw truth and victory because someone said, I'm going to stir something up in you. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at city gates. Yet not a shield or spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. My heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteer for war. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be known as the people of God who volunteered for war. Even though we didn't have a weapon in our hand. Only weapon we got, his word. I'm good with that. Consider this. 
you who ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road. Listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villagers in Israel. And then the people of the Lord march down to the city gates. Wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and sing a song. Arise, Barak. Lead your captives away, son of Abinadam. Abinadam. Down from Tabor, marched a few against the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down against mighty warriors. They came down from Ephraim, a land that once belonged to the Malachites. They followed you, Benjamin, with your troops. From Makir, the commanders marched down. From Zebulon came those who carry a commander's staff. The princes of Ishar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. But in the tribe of Reuben, there was a great indecision. Why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds? To hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks. Yes, in the tribe of Reuben, there was a great indecision. Gilead remained east of the Jordan. And why did Dan stay home? I have to ask you, you're wondering why I'm reading this. Are you finding yourselves among the people who volunteer for war? Or are you among the tribe that are still sitting at home waiting for God to return? What song are you a part of, Christian? I'm just, I'm just trying to... Gilead remained east of the Jordan. Why did Dan stay home? Asher sat unmoved at the seashore remaining in his harbors. But Zebulon risked his life, as did Naphtali on the heights of the battlefield. The kings of Canaan came and fought, and Tanakh near Megiddo Springs were, uh, but they carried off no silver treasures. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against the Sarah. Oh, that was the confusion. What the heck's going on? All of our strategies are thwarted. The environment's changing. The atmosphere changing now. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is here. Can you imagine going into a riot? Instead of wanting to protest the riot, you're just going on right into there to do one thing, to change the... And then they panic, and, and all they can do is say, can you imagine that? C can you imagine that day? Can you imagine a day where people have all their rights, and they submit their rights before God because they're so confused that everything, the atmosphere is changing. All because the people said, we'll volunteer. We'll redeem the culture. The Kishon River, verse 21, swept them away. That, that ancient torrent, the Kishon, march on with courage, my soul. Then the horses hooved, hammered the ground, the galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. Let the people of Meraz be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed because they did not come to help the Lord. I don't want to be those people. To help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. So Sarah asked for water. She gave him milk and a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him yogurt. And then with her left hand, she reached for a tent peg and with her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head with a shattering blow. She pierced his temples. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet. And where he sank, there he died. From the window, Sisera's mother looked out. Through the window, she watched for his return, saying, 
why is this chariot so long in coming home? Why don't we hear the sound of the chariot wheels? So her wise women answer and she repeats these words to herself. Remember, Sisera's dead. This is what Sisera's mom is thinking. They must be dividing the capture plunder with a woman or two for every man. There will be colorful robes for Sisera and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides. All she's focused on is what are we getting? Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera. But may those who love you rise like the sun in all his power. And after they sang that song of praise and after they saw that peace, there was peace in the land for 40 years. When you stir up that thing in people and you're moving forward in faith, the amount of enemies you gain defines you just as much as the friends who walk with you. We are so consumed with who can I make allies with, but maybe we should be more consumed with what's separating us from those who are not walking as the volunteers to say, I'm going to war for my God. I'm in love with my God. I want to be stirred up. Are you standing for God and nothing else? Are you like the people in the song where you're rising like the sun because of your love for God? Are you still waiting on the sidelines because you don't really believe in the God that you say is all-powerful? It's 8.08, but I've got to do one thing. Tyler or Jacob, I just need some, some music in the background if you don't mind. Can we just stand real quick? First of all, let's 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 just can we just give God praise tonight? Come on. I felt in preparing this message that in talking about stirring it up, that there were people in here that needed to be stirred up tonight. You've been sitting on the sidelines. You've been waiting. You've been doubting yourself. You've been doubting your call. And you need someone to just stir up the thing inside of you. If that's you and you just need someone to encourage you, strengthen you, comfort you, speak, a, speak something into you that's going to stir that thing up inside, I want you to just come, lie on the front of this altar right now, and we're, I, I believe that things are going to be stirred up tonight. If that's you, just right now, come boldly. Come on.